Marcus with Sean Hackett. Sean is a financial advisor in Boca Raton, Florida with Hackett Financial. And this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, your premier ag tire and will provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and the official work boot of Moving Iron Podcast is dry shot boots. All right, Sean. Well, we've uh, we've had five weeks of this uh, of this mayhem that we've had here with the uh, stay home orders and those kind of things. And and uh, lo and behold, the uh, the economy is is not booming anymore. It's a full blown recession at best, and um, there is uh, an overwhelming lack of money coming in from the economy. There's an overwhelming lack of tax revenue coming in. So uh, politicians are starting to change their tune a little bit about who's opening what when. So I guess as you take a look at the last. 14 days of, of the markets and what you've seen here between the collapse of oil, which has then brought on the collapse of corn and the collapse of the, the protein markets, especially with the shutdown of, of some key hog producing plants where they just don't have anywhere to take hogs now. Um, so, and beef is getting pretty much the same way. There's really no buyers out there to buy anything. So I guess give me a reflection here. Give me, tell me, give me your thoughts of the last couple of weeks and, and what's going on out there. I mean, we've been, we have been talking about April being the culmination of factoring in this entire pandemic reaction-wise, meaning we expected that the virus would peak in April um, and that the implications for shutting down the U.S. economy would be felt in the month of April, meaning you're going to you get your final capitulations, your final responses. You know, oil going to zero, minus whatever it did, you know, because yeah. of no storage or the packing plants shut down. They can't bring the animals through. There's no, really no value for the animals if you, if you can't get them through. They just, nobody has, wants them, you know. Um, it, it, so, so all that, you know, the ethanol production yeah. down to zero. Uh, yeah. So all of that is being priced in, basically, to the markets in, these, in this panic phase in the last couple of weeks. That's the bad news. And we've been talking about us moving into this final phase. We even talked about possible $2 corn in last week's program. We didn't quite get there, but we were, we were pretty close. Uh, but but that's, that's now and what's already happened. But when we look forward, because of what you just said, tax revenue at the state level collapsing, no money, uh, you know, all the state politicians, all the governors, the State Congresses function because they need state money, and they're all realizing that they had better do something to get their local economies going again. And given that the virus has clearly peaked and fallen, you know, the states are going to take it upon themselves, despite all the backlash of not doing something, they're just going to get things open again because they need to, and they should. Um, and it doesn't mean you don't, you're not careful. It doesn't mean you, know, right. you go back to the way things were. It doesn't mean you, you just... Go about hugging everybody, having a big sporting event, but we do need to get things operating again. And I'm confident that in May we're going to see a rapid reopening of a lot of states and, and getting that the, the machine running again. What does that mean? 
that means the packet plants will start to increase their capacity again. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that means that the you know that the engine the, the engines that have been hurting the demand for food and the messed up logistics are going to start to free up again, and that is a good harbinger that things are going to be better three months from now than they are today, and that means prices probably have already or are just about to price in the worst case scenario from a demand side perspective. Now our job is how high can prices go whatever the new normal demand base is, but whatever it is, it's going to be better than what it is today, so we're optimistic that prices are going to see some some better prices, some better trajectories, some 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 opportunities for U.S. ag producers to sell as we get into the mid-late summer and we fire up to the degree that we can and things improve. So, mm -hmm. so, I'm, so, so I, I guess the, the idea is that if you're sitting there as a, as a cattle farmer or a grain producer, you just need to be patient, wait for things to play out. I think you'll get a chance to do something better than you can today by panic selling into the hole. Right. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. I will say this: I, I now own every barrel of oil on the planet when they were when they were giving me thirty eight bucks for it. So it, it was it worked out pretty well for me. So I got cornered the market. Now I saw that when I was watching the uh, my dad sells chemical oil full chemical in in Kansas. So I always kind of pay attention to what's going on in the oil market. And I was checking what the uh, price of Kansas crude was and and um, kind of going through there. And I, I I had to look at the chart twice. Because I'm like, that says negative 38. What does that mean? I've never, so, you know, so now I'm thinking about, okay, so now they're, you're, you know, hypothetically giving people $38 for every barrel of oil they'll take. Um, then I start thinking about, okay, well, now you're looking at, at ethanol prices where you got 99 cent gas and you've got, you know, dollar 25 cent. I mean, gas prices are like 1993 level prices, you know, and you take a look across there. Ethanol represents about 40% of the U.S. corn crop and, and what they do, you know, what the byproduct is of corn in the U.S. So, I mean, I guess as you take a look at the ethanol marketplace and, and what you see there, even if the economy gets opened back up and things start to ramp back up and there's a slow, gradual increase of oil, I mean, to get it back up to that $40, $50 range where where people are actually making money um, at, at it and they're reopening up these different things, so many of these uh, fracking companies and, and smaller uh, oil companies of that have filed bankruptcy, so they might not even be in existence when the price comes back around. So production as a whole could go to to the level where it, prices could rapidly come up just because of lack of production. Um, I guess when you look at the ethanol marketplace, I, I've said this before, where I think ethanol is a great thing for the U.S. corn market. Obviously, it's, it's awesome. It does a great, great job. But there has to become a time when ethanol does something different than generate fuel for vehicles. There's got to be something else there, especially as you start looking down the road with battery-operated vehicles and those kind of things, as that becomes a bigger deal in the next five to ten years. I guess, what's your thought of ethanol, and, and what, what, what is your long-term, I guess, scope of what you see of the ethanol industry? We've always felt that ethanol was a temporary market in, in its isolation, meaning that we were never going to always produce ethanol from corn, that we would always have to find something else to do with it. It just couldn't be going into the fuel tank. We always felt that there was a, a timeline. Obviously, the virus 
rapidly accelerated. <laughs> it sure did. Like, what might have taken five or seven years to get to, we got it to it within three months. But look, through, through catastrophe, you know, nothing in this country happens without a crisis. Meaning, an industry right. won't before, won't do anything new until it's forced to do so. So now it's saying. We have to find other markets for what we do. Now, whether that means making hand sanitizer on a long-term basis, whether that means, you know, finding other ways to use ethanol, and, and they will find those reasons because the industry capacity is there. The players that will that will acquire these assets that are, in many cases, not worth much at the moment, they'll find a way to to sort of broaden the demand base and keep the ethanol business. Um, viable. Um, and so I do think that this is actually going to create a longer term, more sustainable ethanol market, not because it's going into the fuel tank, but through this there'll be reasons to find other ways to do it. So it actually is optimistic that we will come out of this with a better um, balance of demand for ethanol. We won't be just a one-trick pony, which is never a good idea in every, any industry I've ever seen. When you only have one market, and that's all you have, Something always comes along to take the, 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 the legs out from underneath you. And so, um, by the way, we are optimistic that, you know, if you look at those deferred oil contracts from around 30, it wouldn't take much to get back to 40 or 50 on production crashing and some better demand. Uh, the good thing about ethanol is we're not producing any. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. do you get any demand at all that increases without any production, those Big stocks, you keep seeing the charts of that every bear is showing you that's the why corn's going to zero. They'll just collapse. I mean, that production, that, that, those ending stocks will fall very rapidly with no production. So, as dire as the ethanol situation seems, I do think it will improve and we'll get some better, a better outlook for it. But more importantly, this should force those that are in the business that will stay in the business to think about other demand sources. And I do think in the long term, that's good for corn. Yeah. So. Okay, so speaking of corn demand, um, there's a news headline out there that uh, China is to hike state stockpiles of corn, soybeans, cotton, and other commodities, which is not a big shocker. That's what they're supposed to do based on our agreement with them through uh, the phase one deal of, of the China-U.S. phase one trade agreement. So um, that's, some, that's some positive news that you can see there. There's no cheaper commodities on the planet than what you have in the U.S. right now. So this could actually be a, a good opportunity for um, some of the U.S. exports. Well, right now you have what's called the spreadsheet analysts that are out there in droves showing you the 4 billion bushels of carry out for corn and how even, even zero bids should be pulled because they might get it filled here pretty soon. And spreadsheet analysts have no ability to predict the future of corn or any market because the spreadsheet isn't real. The spreadsheet is a number based upon a set of assumptions that almost never turn out to be correct at this time of the year. So so, so what could be the reasons why those spreadsheets that are saying poor little emotions are incorrect? As you said, exports out of China could be much, much stronger than people thinking. Ethanol demand could be something other than zero. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, those planted acres that everyone is expecting to be 95, 97, you know, maybe because the corn, the corn prices crashed, maybe they're 90, 92. Maybe we take 5 million acres off the top. Uh, we haven't even factored in Mother Nature. Maybe, you know, everyone's assuming we're going to have trend line yields. I don't know if we will or won't, but I'm pretty sure that Mother Nature will provide a reason to think we may not. 
some point. So all those things factor in that the spreadsheet analysts that are all telling you zero bid is not a good, you know, may not be a good place to be, uh, you know, may want to pull those zero bids on corn, uh, are probably over, you know, overplaying the bearish side right now and not factoring in a lot of these other things that are potentially you know, more bullish. I look at the corn price and the soybean price in China, they're going up parabolically right now domestically in China. Even if you factor in the weak Chinese currency, they've gone parabolic. I mean, they're out of corn and soybeans. They're simply out because they've not been able to, to get it in, yeah. anything, and they've been using a lot of it. So that, that's unsustainable, uh, Casey. You can't have parabolic prices in China and collapsing prices in the U.S. for very long. Something has to give them. What something has to give is they're going to buy every bit that they can right now at this at this differential. Right. So, so that, that puts a floor in and probably creates a pretty good bounce. And once we get, you know, over the hump of this forced liquidation that we've been dealing with, and maybe it's already happened. Maybe that was, maybe Monday or Tuesday was the forced liquidation. That's it for, for now. Mm-hmm. I know that there's not a farmer out there, unless he has to, that's going to sell corner soybeans right now. They're, they're going to put them in, they're going to keep it in the bin, lock it up, and take their chances for later on in the summer. So at least for now, I can't imagine there's a lot of physical supply that's going to be available at these price levels from the U.S. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I was watching that Tuesday and I thought for sure that it was going to get as fast as it dropped and as quick as it did that and it got to 304, I think, for a minute. I thought yeah. for sure we were going to yeah. get a two in front of there for a minute and I was, that was going to change well, the Well, mine is attitude. $40 barrel oil. You know, you have to believe that that probably could have put the lowest, the most bearish view of the corn market you could possibly imagine. Mine is $40 barrel yeah. oil. I mean, yeah. That probably was your maximum pessimism right there. I mean, maybe three or four is it. Yeah. It's very possible that is it. So yeah. the uh, the Saudis, I did notice the other day, and the, the OPEC nations as well were, were kind of scrambling there late Friday, Thursday and Friday and Monday about, okay, guys, we need, we need to cut production. Let's cut this production thing back. And they were, uh, everyone was like, yeah, I guess you're probably right now. We should probably do that, you know. <laughs> Nobody, nobody was, everyone was trying to play it cool, but I mean, I'll tell you what, you could tell there was some, not that I was in the room or anything like that, but just the articles I was reading and the responses that they had, there was a bit of a panic in their voice, and it, it was, they're going to start cutting, I think I, I read somewhere they were going to cut back 9 million barrels a day or something like that. Across Nothing good happens without a crisis. So I'll tell you what, they, you're right. So, so that, they, they try to play some games, but then the market trusted them in a crisis and now they will absolutely yeah money talks yeah. money talks and there ain't no money at zero yeah <laughs> they, they picked a really good time to be like you know we're gonna we're gonna just show how cool we are and then that didn't work out for them very well but they looked they, they looked at their uh, at their money needs and they go how much money are you generating at zero <laughs> a lot guys we're gonna do something <laughs> yeah they were that's crazy man that's nuts <laughs> All right, so it's yeah. Thursday. We got the export report coming out here uh, later this morning. Um, as you take a look around here, their, their expectations aren't too terrible high for corn and soybeans. They're talking somewhere between 50,000 and 300,000 metric tons a piece. Wheat, there's a, looks like they're going to be quite a bit higher for demand this week than they were this time last year. And uh, soybean meal is zero. So basically, they're not expecting much out of soybean meal and oil. So I guess as you look at these these reports, what's your what are your thoughts on that? I think everyone's lowballing these exports. I think the exports are going to be fantastic. They've been fantastic. They're going to continue to be fantastic. Uh, so long as prices remain this depressed and we're the best game in town, 
Um, and and um, uh, and China is continuing to see those escalating prices domestically there. It's just we're going to continue to see very good demand for our for our ad products down here. Um, so I, I think all I believe that all those numbers are too low. And, we, and, and if you look at pork exports, you know, up dramatically from last year, which were up dramatically from the year before. I mean, the, the exports are not the problem here, Jason. That is not the issue. We've had really good exports. The issue is that we shut every restaurant down, right. um, and, and and the oil price went to zero. Yep. You know, so those things are, are, are impacting the demand for our product domestically, but the, but the exports are there. That's why if we can get things opening again, get some normalization domestically for demand against those large exports, and we're going to have a pretty good rally here in a lot of markets. Yeah. So. Okay, so let's talk about wheat for a minute. Wheat is the one, yeah. um, I guess, dim, bright spot that we have out there. I mean, they've had they had a couple, when, when everything else was going down and collapsing, wheat was actually having some limit up days. I mean, they were, they were doing very well. They've also had some limit down stuff, too, in that in that same um, aspect. So I guess um, with with some dryness in the, the Black Sea region that we see, um, you know, Australia's talking about bringing on another, you know, increasing their wheat crop by 50% from what it's been, which is just slightly above, you know, when you're slightly above zero and you add 50%, you know, you get, you get going pretty well. That's not, that's not a big zero, thing. Not, not hard to do, right? So... So they've got that going, but there's a uh, there's a lot of stress on some wheat in uh, in uh, the southern uh, like Texas, Oklahoma, with some frost damage that they've had down there. So I guess talk about wheat and what you see happening there. Well, <clears throat> wheat and rice are up 15 percent in this whole crisis. Every other grain market's down 15 percent. The difference is wheat and rice half the world lives off of. So when the when the crisis hit, logistics got hit. Um, and, and, and access to product got hit, everybody panicked, bought wheat and rice so that they could, you know, not starve to death. Government started to worry, oh my gosh, you know, we better have enough wheat and rice on hand. You know, so all the exporters pulled back. Russia pulled back. India pulled back. Thailand pulled back on their exports and said, let's just sit tight. We can't run out of this because without this, we are done for. So, so those two markets have been separate, you know, they, they've acted separately from the rest of the grain markets, justifiably so. In the case of wheat, you know, we've had, as you said, cold frost issues, and, and it's been way, way too dry in Casey winter wheat areas in the middle mm. part of the country, and crop ratings for winter wheat you know, fell really aggressively this past week, you know, 5 to 8% depending upon the location you're looking at, and I th we think those rates are going to continue to fall. We have extreme dry conditions in Ukraine, Extreme dry conditions in southern Russia, extreme dry conditions in uh, in Europe for, for wheat. We look at the fact that India has shut down their economy, and you know nothing gets done, nothing gets harvested in India without workers on the on the you know their mechanization isn't at the level that we enjoy here or that South America enjoys. So everybody went home. So you have a wheat crop. Remember, their wheat crop is supposed to be harvested right now. And there's nobody to harvest the wheat crop. So it's there, but if you can't get access to it, if no one is there to, to pick it, then, then the supplies are not available. So all these things, Casey, have been supporting the wheat market and will continue to support the wheat market. And, uh, you know, if you're looking at KC wheat, $5 level, you know, if you look at the chart, you know, it's been that big resistance there for over a year. 
and we're still we're right, right on it, you know, we should take that out for some reason as we move into the growing season here over the summer. You know, there could be some bigger fireworks going on with the, with the winter wheat market. So that's definitely a market that um, has been leading and may continue to lead and actually may continue to start to drag corn and soybeans up with it. Yeah, it's uh, the wheat market is always that that silent outlier. You know, it, it could be doing something completely opposite just because of what you said. I mean, so much of yep. the world is fed by that. All right. Well, if you take a look at the cattle prices, you know, we've hit on that a little bit. Um, hog prices a little bit. We kind of hit on that a little bit. Um, you know, there's some some very key um, pork production plants that have shut down. Um, there's been a few um, beef processing plants that have shut down too, um, to the point where the hog production um, there, there's just nowhere to go with the pigs right now, and we got people euthanizing sows and aborting piglets and and all these fun different things they have to do when stuff like this happens, and it's it's an it's an awful scenario with with, with hogs right now. Hogs have struggled for the last 18 months, um, just in general anyway, and then you throw this on top of it, it sure didn't help anything. So I guess as you look at the hog market and, and what's there, is that, I guess, what's some saving grace we can have there? Saving grace is this. As North America reopens the North American economy, meaning Canada, U.S., and Mexico, remember our largest buyer of pork is the Mexican. Mm-hmm. And China's behind us. So, so when Mexico reopens their economy, and we can, we can, it, it, they're going to be buying a lot of pork from the U.S. That's the first thing. The second thing is we already know we're selling a ton to the Chinese. So that's going to continue. Um, and so, and as we start opening the economy, and as the virus continues to go away, these packing plants are going to reopen, and we're all going to want to bring as many. Remember the packer margins, Casey. The pork, the, the packer margins for pork is really, really high. I mean, they're making a fortune right now, even with 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 lower throughput. It's like what happened with the Tyson fire last mm-hmm. year. Yeah. yeah, the packers make all kinds of money, and the produ- and the the producers dying on the vine. It, something's wrong. We talked about this last week. Something's wrong with that. Uh, something needs to be done about how the packer can make all kinds of money at the expense of the producer, but. That's for another time. But what I'm getting at is with those margins, they're going to try to get those plants back up and running full speed as as soon as they possibly can. And when they do, then they're going to be coming for all these animals all at the same time. So the prospects for deferred contracts, the late summer, fall contracts, we think are fantastic. I don't know about the short run, that you have to be able to predict how quickly we'll reopen, how quickly the, the, the packing plants can get the okay to bring people back that were sick and what sort of thing. And you know, I don't have any more clarity on that than anybody else. But I think if you were looking out at, you know, mid-late summer contracts onward, I think the prospects for, for, for hog prices are outstanding. So, so this is saving grace as long as you don't have to sell now mm-hmm. or as long as you can make it to the other side. The prospects, I think, are quite good. There's just going to be some good margin for the producer if you can just st- stick this out a little longer. The, the outlook looks pretty good to me. Yeah. So. Cattle price, same thing. Um, take a look what's going on there. There's uh, a lot of feedlots are stocked full of, of cows right now, and it's cheaper to feed them than it is to sell them. So I guess as you, the same, I guess the same scenario would be in play for for the cattle market. The only difference between cattle market and the hog market is the cattle market you can um, 
because they, you know, because the cattle grow at a slower pace than the hogs do, you can keep them, um, you can keep them feeding for longer. Um, plus, don't forget that sixty-five percent of demand for the beef comes from the restaurant chain. Right. Twenty-five percent of pork demand comes from the restaurant chain. So, so, uh, so there's a, there are a few differences, but the, but the but the general outlook is pretty much the same. Bring the packers back online. Packer margins are high. They're going to bring these animals through. It's still summertime, grilling season. People may not be comfortable with going to a lot of restaurants or going on vacation, but they probably are going to have a lot of picnics in the backyard with family and friends to, to say that we made it through the pandemic and let's, let's buy all kinds of meat and put it on the grills. That's mm-hmm. all going to be good for bringing that, bringing that throughput through to the other side. So, yeah, I still pretty much the same idea there um, other than some different sensitivity to some, to some demand scenarios, but pretty much the same idea, I think. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, good stuff, man. Uh, the other the other side of this, the the other market out there that's struggling, and you get on Twitter, you see it all over the place. They're dumping milk all over the place, but there's no milk on the shelf, and it's the whole supply chain thing between the diversion between the uh, the restaurant versus the the consumer side of it, and what that looks like. So, um, the dairy market is struggling bad. I mean, there's um, I was surprised to see when Sonny Purdue was talking about that that there wasn't more. Um, in the in the ag relief bill for uh, for dairy than there was, but um, nonetheless, that's for another conversation. But I guess as you look at what's going on in the dairy market, there is a that that's just a, that's just a tough one. There's got to be that that's a restaurant issue, that's a supply chain issue, that's a um, you know just an issue of of getting the product to where it needs to go and and, and the lack thereof. So I guess talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean that that one was really really hit by this this inability to get the product to where it's needed. You know, they had this whole supply food chain from the restaurant side, and they're not compatible with the supermarket chain side, and it's it's really disrupted things where they have to they're throwing dairy products away because they can't sell it to the other side, and it's 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 just warped. And the other issue with milk is it's, it's you just don't shut off milk production, right? Like you, you can you can euthanize and do things you don't want to do in the hog business, and of course it's very sad and devastating. But it can be done. You, you, you just the milk thing, the, the production response is a slow moving train. It will happen, but it you just it takes months to start getting a supply response, and of course the demand just stopped. You know, and so you had this just dramatic reaction where we're getting prices down to where they were in 0809. It's just Unthinkable. The saving grace, Casey, that because the government had put in what's called the DRP program over a year ago, that some farmers were able to utilize to provide some subsidized put protection under the market. Those that utilize that uh, have gotten a lot of uh, benefit or, or, or protected a lot, at least from this fall con- the spring contracts going down a lot. But of course, not everybody did that. Not everybody had the money to do that. Um, so it will turn around, but in this particular case, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage of not everyone making it for the better prices that are coming in the fall, Casey. I wish I could say that everyone's going to make it through, but given what I think is, going to, is inadequate support from the government, there's going to be a lot of, um, of casualties before yeah. we get there. I had, a, I had a guy on a conference call with the other day talk about... Um, dealer in a in a heavy heavily dairy producing area 
talking about there's a couple billion dollars they pumped into the uh, uh, to this program and to to just you know give some funds, release some aid, and those kind of things. And he made a good point that if they would have taken that 2.3 billion or whatever it was and uh, just bought the cows and just took the cows and, and took them to butcher, that not only would that solve the majority of the dairy problem we have now, but it would have done so for 10 years, you know, and and what that looks like. So that that kind of so, made some sense, I guess. Well, when you think about it, it, the cows aren't worth anything right now. Right. The dairy guy cannot sell his cows. It, it, it doesn't work. So how? So he's supposed to, he's being told to cut production, but he can't liquidate mm -hmm. because they're not worth anything. Um, yet, if, if, the, if the government did pay a fair... You know, take a look at the average five or seven year price for the dairy cows and say, we'll give you that money so that he could get that capital out of his business. It would reduce production, which is what's needed right now. Um, yeah, and that would be a perfect solution to get production down, getting money in the farmer's hands. Um, yet they do this thing where they're going to buy dairy products and store it somewhere for a rainy day and and give some money out to some people, and but it's that's not gonna. It's gonna extend the, the pain, not not actually, ex, you know, get us quickly, you know, more quickly to the to the to the positive side of the equation. So I don't know why they don't do that. Your solution, the solution I've heard from others, makes perfectly good sense. But unfortunately, the government isn't about doing what's sensible. They're about doing whatever mm -hmm. self-interest decide. Uh, is what's best to do, and somehow I think the processors who want cheap milk might be uh, influencing policy more than they should because the policies seem to be promoting cheaper milk, not how do we help the producer out. So there might be a conflict of interest there from an over-influence uh, of processors versus the dairy producer. That's my suspicion. I had a guess. So are you saying there's a conflict of interest in politics? Is that what you're saying, Sean? Uh, I'm going out on a limb. Yeah, and you're, you're, you're walking on a pretty thick limb there. You can go a long ways out on that sucker. So. <laughs> yeah, there, there's always there's always some fiddler in the, or puppeteer in the background doing some craziness when it comes to these policies. Well, even look, even look at, the, at the payment protection program that is supposedly that was supposed to first come first serve, but that's not how it went down. It was... The favorite customers got everything first, and then that was—that's <laughs> how the first tranche went down. So, yeah. whoops! Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Absolutely craziness. Yeah. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out and give you, pick your brain a little bit here, or just ask some questions about what you got going on. What's the best place to do that? Uh, our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. Lots of good information on there to see if what we do to be a value to your listeners. Right on, man. I'm Casey Seaman with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also check out movingironllc.com for more Moving Iron insights and what's going on out there. I got a new blog I just posted out there, so check that out. Also, uh, if you're interested in attending the Moving Iron Summit, hit me up at uh, Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. It's good information there and some great speakers, so check that out on the website as well. Um, also check out the Global Ag Network. Great, some got some great podcasters out there that that are uh, pretty funny. Like the guys at Giant Farmer Podcast, Brenton and uh, uh, Landon are all always uh, a riot, and you really enjoy that one. So, until next time, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go, Moose Smart, folks.
out. In the 21st century Hardworking people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher